Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a Motherhood Feels podcast. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in perinatal mental health and host of Hindsight is 2020. We're shifting to fatherhood feels for this episode with seasoned dad of two, Travis Akers. In addition to talking dad life, Listen in as Travis talks about how he joined the Navy immediately after 9-11 and served as a U.S. Navy intelligence officer and combat aircrewman over the course of 20 years. Travis is active in the Jacksonville, Florida community, and some of his current commitments include his service on the Mayor's Military and Veterans Affairs Transition Committee and his role as a national ambassador for the Laundry Project. Travis is also working to support more children and families as a Duval County School Board candidate. You can learn more about Travis at his website, travisacres.com. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Travis is also a Dave Matthews Band superfan. Listen in as he details some fatherhood reflections peppered in with some DMB excitement next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. If you're interested in integrating more support for moms, dads, and families into your healthcare system or business, please contact Motherhood Feels at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com. The Motherhood Feels supports include Before Baby Boot Camp, an online self-paced course and downloadable workbook that offers education, evidence-based coping skills, an opportunity to create a personalized coping plan, and resources for new and expectant parents. Check out motherhoodfeels.com for a sneak peek of the course and to check out my newly published rhyming storybooks with healthy mental health and safe sleep messages, Motherhood Feels M is for Mom and Fatherhood Feels D is for Dad. Both the course and the storybooks can be personalized to your healthcare system or corporation. And as per usual, help this podcast grow by subscribing on Apple and Spotify. You can find me on social at Motherhood Feels. Thanks for listening. Hey, Travis, thanks for being here. Hey, Jill, I'm very excited to be here and to spend some time with you this morning. Yeah, so why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Mm, um, everyone's favorite topic themselves. Um, I am a 20-year Navy veteran who moved to Jacksonville, Florida in 2004. I am married to a very beautiful woman named Anna. Uh, we've been together for 16 years, and we have one son together uh, who's 10 years old. And then I have another son who is graduating from high school this year and will be starting college in the fall. We moved to Jacksonville with the Navy, fell in love with the community, and got involved here uh, with our church, with the school district, and a few other nonprofit organizations that primarily uh, serve the veterans and military community here in Jacksonville. But that's that's a little bit about me and what I do here. Yeah. So you have been in the service for how long? Um, my retirement put me at 21 years. Um, I joined in 2003. Um, not too, well, actually, so I joined right after 9-11, but uh, was unable to ship off to boot camp until 2003. So I'm at 21 years of service with the Navy. 
Wow. Well, thanks for your service. And I'm curious, did you enlist as a result of 9-11 or was it just timed that way? Um, No, it was a result of 9-11. I was actually in seminary uh, at Wake Forest in North Carolina um, when the plane struck the tower and the Pentagon and landed in the field in Pennsylvania. And I knew that uh, immediately um, I needed to do something um, for our country. And I come from a long line of military members in my family. So it was just a natural decision. And I left um, left seminary, uh, moved back home for a few months um, after joining uh, and signing the enlistment paperwork, and then finally was able to ship off early 2003 um, spent 10 years um, enlisted in the Navy before earning a commission and was commissioned as an officer in 2013 um, out of Officer Candidate School in Newport, Rhode Island. Wow. And I think um, I've seen that you served as a Navy intelligence officer. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, a very rewarding, stressful, but yet rewarding job. And I've loved every single day because there's a new challenge that comes every day. Um, There's no repetition uh, in the intelligence community. There are events that are evolving and emerging on a daily basis. So it's been an exciting job. Yeah. I mean, that kind of piques my curiosity as a person who likes to kind of analyze things. What does an intelligence officer do? What's the day-to-day like? Um, Well, kind of like a a wave tops description is we uh, receive guidance for what our commanders, decision makers, the president, secretary of defense, what they want to know, what they need to know. And we identify gaps in that um, knowledge realm. And so what we'll do is we will collect data to fill those gaps. And then once the data has been collected, we analyze it. Um, we establish trends, we establish uh, projections, and we produce analysis to give to decision makers so they're well-informed in developing policy, developing responses, developing and fostering relationships with partner nations and allies. And then we disseminate that analysis out to other intelligence entities, communities, other partners and countries. And then we continue to develop our operations based off of what we have derived through our analysis. All right. You really know what you're talking about. And I think (laughs) that I did a deep dive, some internet sleuthing on you, and I saw some pictures of you with some of our leaders. And I kind of am curious about a little bit of the behind the scenes on that. I don't think no matter a person's political affiliation, it's pretty cool to meet the vice president and the president, which it looks like I've seen from some pictures that you've been able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been very fortunate in those opportunities. Um, Some emerged because of my role um, as an intelligence officer with the military and just by default of having proximity to those people, those opportunities emerged. Other opportunities emerged through some advocacy work that I do on behalf of military families and veteran members, specifically the PACT Act, which was legislation signed into law two years ago um, that expanded benefits for military members who were exposed to burn pits and the toxins that were produced from the burn pits in Afghanistan and Iraq and Djibouti and other areas in the Middle East. And a group of us began advocating on Capitol Hill to expand legislation and to expand the benefits for those members and the families who had that exposure. 
Um, I was inspired by a coworker named Lieutenant Chris Reed, who died from cancer he obtained from his exposure from the burn pits. And that's what really got me involved. And I began taking trips to D.C. and meeting with members of Congress and had an opportunity to testify with congressional staff. And um, that's where along the way I got to meet a lot of members of the Senate, the House of Representatives, um, the president, the vice president, and other influential leaders in our government. Um, so very fortunate to meet those people and to have their support of our military members, uh, their families, and veterans who've served. That's very cool. And what was it like to, did you get to go into the vice president's residence? I don't know what they call that. I know it has a name. <laughs> Yeah, so I've, I've been very fortunate in uh, visiting both the White House and the Vice President's residence. The Vice President's house is at the Naval Observatory um, in D.C., just on the eastern side of Georgetown. Um, so we in the military call it the Naval Observatory, but it is just known as the Vice President's residence. A beautiful, beautiful home. Um, slightly smaller than the White House, as expected, but a, a, a wonderful home and a, a beautiful place. Neat. Well, I also happen to know, and I promise I'll get to your parenthood journey, but I have to do a couple of questions around my own curiosity. I also happen to have seen that you have frequented the Texas Tavern in Roanoke, Virginia. And as a, a person who is from Roanoke and who has also uh -huh. had some Texas Tavern in her life, what's your favorite order there? A bowl with and a cheesy Western. Um, it's what I get every time. So I was born in Roanoke at Roanoke Memorial Hospital. Huh. Uh, my family is from Roanoke. My parents live there now. Uh, my grandparents are, are lived in Roanoke. Um, so Roanoke is deeply embedded in my family roots. And we go back frequently. And the Texas Tavern is always a necessary stop. My oldest, uh, my high school senior, it's his favorite restaurant in the world, um, and it's just great. They serve 1,000 people, 10 seats at a time. And if you're ever in the Roanoke Valley, uh, go downtown and visit the tavern. It's a great place. All right. We're going to have to talk offline on this because as a person who's from Roanoke and my parents are still there and I was born in Roanoke Memorial, we have some connections we've got to figure out. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so you have two sons one who is a little bit older and one who sounds like he is probably in elementary school here in Jacksonville is my guess. Tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a dad. Oh my gosh. Well, let me tell you, both of my sons I love and adore. I am beyond blessed to have two healthy, energetic, intelligent, and charming boys Neither of them were expected. Uh -huh. uh, God brings people into our lives when we least expect it. And that's how both of my sons arrived. Um, my oldest, um, who is going to be turning 18 in March and preparing for college, um, he will start college in the summer. My fiance at the time and I, we had uh, a pregnancy that just came about and he is just a wonderful joy. And then I remarried after a divorce. My wife and I have now been together for almost 16 years. And we also have a son together, a 10-year-old who's in fourth grade. And also another surprise, he's a Thanksgiving baby, which is great because we have much to be thankful for. So those are those are my two boys, just wonderful kids, smart, intelligent, um, challenging at times as every kid is. Um, they like to keep my wife and I on our toes, that's for sure. But, you know, it's like the intelligence community. We never have the same day. Um, the same thing with parenthood. We never have the same day. It's all new every single day. and It's wonderful. 
So I obviously think about how you have these two different guys who probably have some similarities, but are probably different as well. Tell me a little bit about how you've parented two kids and two that probably have two distinct personalities. They are two totally different people. Um, They are not cut from the same mold. Um, And it's really funny to see that dichotomy and the differences between the two. The oldest is very social. Um, He's very well-mannered. He's very pragmatic um, in the way he approaches situations. Um, And he's very, you know, as social as he is, he's also very relaxed um, and he feels comfortable in social situations. My youngest, um, he is just a ball of energy, nonstop, always on the go. And there's no such thing as silence in our house when he's awake. Um, And he is the class clown. He likes to make people laugh. He loves attention. And it's so funny to see that difference because my oldest, uh, while he does love being social, he does not like being in the spotlight. My youngest, um, he just, he wants everyone to know that he's present and he is very, very smart, well beyond his peer group and just um, the things that he shares with us and talks to us about is just, it's very amazing to hear. Um, he, he loves engineering and rockets and car motors. And, um, it's, it's crazy to hear this 10 year old be able, be able to hold adult conversations about these, you know, advanced topics and advanced technology. So two totally different kids, but both wonderful. And so obviously we've talked about how parenting has lots of really cool parts about it. It also, as we both know, has some hard parts about it. Uh, what have you found to be challenging And what do you think you would have liked to have known ahead of parenting about this whole parenting gig? Yeah, so I'm in, um, I I wouldn't say it's a unique situation because I believe there are a lot of families that have um, started new families following a divorce. So I'll answer this in two phases. One is co-parenting. And then the other is the challenges of children with special abilities or special needs Um, in regards to co-parenting. So I divorced, um, we, my ex-wife and I divorced shortly after uh, we were married. Uh, we just, it was not meant to be, um, but we had a child together. So we had to learn how to co-parent. Um, and it was rough the first couple of years. I, you know, not every divorce is going to be easy. And ours certainly was not, um, you know, one of the easiest divorces. But we learned over time how to co-parent, how to respect each other's boundaries and time while also ensuring that our son was the primary focus and what was good for him. Um, Not too long after that, I met my now wife. And so we also had that additional challenge of um, my ex-wife and my wife getting to know each other because uh, my ex-wife being a mother Obviously, she wants to know, like, who is this woman that's spending all of this time with my son? But um, they they have a wonderful relationship. And oddly enough, um, it grew so much so that when I was deployed um, in the service, they would get together on Mother's Day and go to Mother's Day brunch to, together. And I know that that's certainly not a circumstance that is normal for a lot of remarried couples and new families, but I've been very fortunate in that. 
Um, so the challenges of co-parenting is something that I've learned. Um, and I think the key takeaway is communication um, and being able to have open communication with each other and with your former spouse or former partner. Um, and to be able to voice concerns when they arise rather than letting resentment grow. So communication is key in co-parenting. And then I don't have a natural segue to go into uh, <laughs> special needs or special abilities. But my youngest son, um, he was diagnosed on the spectrum very early in, in his uh, lifehood. He was a very um, slow adapter to our, our settings. Um, he was not verbal for a long time and was well behind his peer group in a lot of the metrics that are used by pediatricians and psychologists. And um, as time progressed and we were able to have services provided for him, counseling um, and verbal, uh, you know, have, have a, a verbal specialist work with him on learning how to talk and to communicate um, he had a re-diagnosis where he was not considered to be on the spectrum. Um, but we did find out that he had global delay disorder and ADHD. Um, and his ADHD is under current treatment by um, his pediatrician and a psychiatrist. And we've had challenges in school because of the impulse behavior and uh, some of the issues in, in school and church. But it's uh, with with proper medication um, and counseling and therapy, we're in such a much better place now where he is uh, thriving in the general population of the schools. It was very overwhelming when we first got the diagnoses. Um, I was deployed. Uh, my wife was here uh, by herself, and our family is all in Virginia. So I know that she felt isolated. She felt defeated, overwhelmed. Um, so we had to also, in another unique situation, navigate that 8,000 miles apart, uh, but navigate it together and, and try to support each other as we the best we could being that far separated. Um, and I know a lot of parents, it's just so overwhelming um, when you receive news like that and you find out that your child's going to be just a little bit different than other children and have some special abilities or special needs. And um, for us, that was, you know, one of the biggest challenges we faced in the initial phases of parenthood was overcoming that together and to learning to support one another. Um, in ways that we might not have needed or considered supporting previously. Um, additionally, um, and I share this openly because my wife shares it openly, my wife um, had some pretty severe postpartum depression as well. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that our son was not planned. Um, she was very happy being a stepmother. Um, and so after the birth of our son, um, it was very overwhelming um, for her as well. And she did have a uh, severe postpartum depression that she was treated for uh, through mental health treatment and medication. Um, but we worked through it together. Um, the, the medication and the mental health treatment was effective and it worked. And we're in a great place uh, with our, both of our sons, but our youngest son specifically. Uh, it, was, it was a challenge to go through. Uh, but we did it together. And that's the key. That's the one thing that we've really learned through the challenges of parenthood is doing things as a team. Um, you know, there's there's times where we have 
different opinions or different views on on certain things and the way we should approach a situation or how we should discipline or reward. But coming to a consensus is key. Um, and we'll have those conversations in private and then come out unified. So our, our children see us as a unified couple and not competing against each other. Um, they don't know the conversations that we have uh, you know, behind closed doors to come to a decision, uh, but they do see us unified in, you know, the way we approach situations. So I am hearing this one word keeps jumping out at me as you're talking about these different points and the words collaboration. And mm-hmm. I'm hearing collaboration with your older son's mom and your mm-hmm. whole crew. I'm hearing collaboration across specialties when you have a number of different supports in place. And I'm hearing collaboration as just a family unit. And that sounds like it's really taken you quite far, despite some challenges, because everybody has them and everybody has hard stuff they're dealing with. But being able to get support to collaborate and communicate has been really key. Absolutely. Collaboration has been key. And I love the word. I love the concept of collaboration. You know, when we're raising children, we often hear it takes a village. Um, and it is a, a collaborative effort. It's a, a whole of community effort because we often think from just the parental perspective, but we have the wisdom and experience of grandparents or aunts and uncles. Uh, but not only that, you know, faith leaders, educators, community leaders, nonprofit leaders, doctors, pediatricians, um, there's just this plethora of people that we have to collaborate with and to bring into our personal community in order to raise children and to be effective parents um, and ensuring that our children are not only safe and comforted and loved, but they're also provided the resources that they need to succeed and thrive in society as well, both in school during their formative years and in preparing them for adulthood uh, once they have left the nest and left us with a silent home. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it sounds quite scary, but it also sounds kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> the silence piece. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience as a partner of a person who was experiencing depression in the perinatal period. What was it like for you to be involved in that moment? Um, you know, I felt somewhat uh, helpless at the time because I did not know exactly how I could minister to my wife's needs. Um I, I did not really have the education or the understanding of postpartum depression. So um, in addition to her receiving the treatments that she was receiving, I had to educate myself. And so I had to speak to a couple of friends in the medical profession and better understand how I could be effective in helping her to um, take that journey through her depression to recovery, but also um how to be, you know, a really good dad during that time as well. Um, there were there were times where because of the severity of her depression, I, I really had to kind of fill those gaps in childcare and um, take those late nights, you know, the the two and four and six a.m. wake ups for feeding um, in the bath time, and which is what every dad should be doing who's involved in their, their kid's life. But there was just that extra level 
um, that, you know, I kind of had to get involved in, um, which was great because it really helped with my bonding experience with our son. But uh, with my wife, you know, I really had to go all in on making sure that she was not only provided the time and the opportunity for these medical appointments and to visit with the counselor and the therapist, um, but also given that time at home um, to really just have the time she needed to be in her space where she felt safe and where she was able to reconnect um, with the family and with our son and uh, just be able to work through that time. So if anyone's in that situation, especially from the the dad or the male partner perspective, um, you know, really take the time to get to understand what this depression is and how it affects and manifests in people because it manifests differently in people. Um, so you, you have to really educate yourself and understand it, uh, but also um, really work towards knowing how you can best counsel or, or minister to your partner in that time to meet needs that maybe others can't meet. Well, I think that it's really cool to hear how both you and your wife are open about that experience because one, it is not uncommon. And two, you are a personal witness to the fact that there are a lot of good things that people can do to feel better. And it sounds like that's where you are all now. Yeah, absolutely. Again, fortunate is the word I use. Bless is the word I use often. Um, the period of depression that she was in, um, I would maybe refer to it as acute. So we're, we're thinking, you know, three to four months time span um, that we were working through that journey together. Um, but following um, that period, We've, we've continued to just grow on a daily basis. Um, you know, we've been together for 16 years and we still learn something new about each other every single week, uh, whether it's a fact of life from our past or just a new preference, a new like or desire. Um, and that, of course, manifests in being parents as well. Uh, we continue to learn new things about our children every single day and their likes, their ambitions, their goals, their challenges. And so from that period where we were, um, you know, several 10 years ago to now, it's just been an, ama uh, an amazing growth period uh, where we have really tapped into what makes us not just happy, because happy is, uh, you know, a moment in time, but what makes us joyful, that kind of continuous period and state perpetual happiness. Uh, so we've really been able to tap into recently and be able to just enjoy life as a family unit. Uh, of course, I mean, life is not peachy. Uh, we can we can make everything look great and wonderful on Instagram. We have our challenges. We have our conflict. Um, but it's really just having learned so much about each other during that period that really advanced uh, our relationship Um more so than I think had we not gone through the depression period together. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing you say is that hard times, crises, challenges are actually often opportunities. And mm -hmm. it sounds like it has been that way for your family too. Before we wrap up, I have to check in on what I think could be a potential favorite band of yours, Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> Tell me, yes. am, I, am I right on that? I think that you are beyond right. Um, I, it could be a clinically diagnosed obsession. 
<laughs> I am a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. Um, just recently attended my 54th uh, Dave Matthews show. Took wow. my 10-year-old to his first Dave Matthews show for his birthday. He wanted to go, and we had a great time. But um, as you know, they're from Charlottesville, Virginia, and you and I both being native Virginians, um, you know, we got the tie in there with Dave, but I'm a huge Dave fan, love the band, love the music. And yeah, I, I can't say enough about how great they are. So I was looking at one of your social profiles and I saw that you might have accidentally washed a set list that you had given your son or that he had gotten from the show, a, a show you had seen. I obviously, this yeah. is really from internet stalking. Can you share the story? <laughs> the story has a happy ending, thankfully. Um, as I said, I took my 10-year-old to his first day of Matthew's show back in November. Uh, we were in Savannah. And um, I... I have known a couple of members of the band for a few years just because I am that crazy fan. Um, but I've gotten to know one of the members of the band very, very well um, through sobriety, which he's public about as well. Uh, we have a connection through sobriety. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been in sobriety for four and a half years. Um, and we made that connection on a personal level. Uh, but it took my son to this show. And uh, we were there on the front row of the show. I went all out uh, for his first show. And really raised the bar. So everything else is going to be a disappointment after this. But there we are on the front row. And uh, Buddy sees us. And he comes over. And uh, he gives my son guitar picks. Dave, he gets guitar picks from Dave, from Stefan, from Tim Reynolds, lead guitarist. And then after the show, uh, they gave him a set list. Uh, they actually gave him Dave's set list uh, that was there. And um, he was so excited. I took pictures with my son and all of his guitar picks and the set list. And he was just like beyond thrilled that he got Dave's actual set list that Dave held. And um, we got home and two days later I was doing the laundry and I am a chronic defender or offender of not checking pockets. And I had not checked the pockets and the set list was still in there along with the guitar picks and our, our ticket stubs. And I realized it afterwards when I was looking through the laundry and wondering where all of this paper material had come from uh, and when i realized what it was i was immediately devastated like to the point i was almost in tears yeah because i knew how disappointed he was going to be um but um because social media can be good um i i posted the picture of me with his set list um just completely it pulverized and um I got a message from the management of the band um, and they asked a, a few questions, a few leading questions. And I kind of thought I knew where this was going to go, but had no idea where exactly this was going to go. And about 10 days later, we received a package in the mail and the band had uh, reprinted our ticket stubs, which is something they had never, ever done before um they had never ever reprinted ticket stubs for anybody and then they reprinted the set list as well but the most amazing thing was on the set list dave matthews himself drew one of his famous sketches on the set list and signed it and uh signed it to my son so we received reprinted stubs we received a new set list that was signed by dave with one of his sketches on it um and it was great i took um the poster we got from the show, that set list, the pics and our stubs. And I went and uh, did a framing project and 
um, had everything framed for him to have as a memory of his first Dave show. And we kind of laugh about it now because I still have the old set list. Um, I, I kept that. I was like, there's no way I can get rid of that. Uh, this is part of the story. But we ended with a, a happy ending and it all worked out in the end. Wow, that's so cool. And I love the way that you had a framing project, a great way to keep it away from the laundry in the future. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So now we have that as a, a great memory we made together, but a story we can laugh about as well. Well, that's awesome. And I know I've taken a lot of your time, but I do want to just get in one piece here. I think that you are running for school board. Is that correct? It is. I am. I'm running for Duval County Public School Board, um, District 7, which covers the Mandarin and Southside communities. Uh, made that decision um, actually a, a while ago. I was deployed in the Middle East uh, two years ago. And I was just watching some of the things that were happening uh, with our public education here in Florida and efforts to undermine the autonomy of teachers in the classroom and to take away um, some of the inclusive access for our students to feel safe. And so I made the decision while I was there that I had to do something when I got home. And when I got home after meeting with a lot of teachers and educators and administrators and community leaders, that something was to run for school board. And so I have no idea really what I've gotten myself into. I'm a first time candidate, but um, we are having a great campaign right now. Just had a wonderful first quarter of fundraising and we're meeting with community organizations and individuals and we're just out there talking to people and learning what their concerns are and sharing my vision. So the election is coming up. Uh, it will be on August 20th. And I look forward to uh, representing the interest of our families and our children on the school board. Well, that's really cool. I wish you a lot of success with that. And I thank you for coming on and sharing with us information about your life as a professional and as a dad and what sounds like an amazing advocate for families. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time we spent together today, Jill. 